0: My name is Marielle, and I am the founder of Travel Experiences Reimagined, the podcast for travel enthusiasts, wanderlusts, and adventure seekers, craving to learn more about tours and excursions from all over the world through the eyes of a new tour guide or host each episode. Hey everyone, when you think of something daring and adventurous, what comes to mind? Bungee jumping? Swimming with sharks? Maybe swimming with whales? What if I told you that swimming with whales could be something that you can actually do and within your reach? We are delighted to have on both Carmen and Sarah, who are part of Majestic Whale Encounters, which offers small group travel to destinations all over the world. From Norway, to Tahiti, where you can swim with whales and explore the wonders of the natural world. These tours are designed to nourish your body, mind, and soul, and to provide a rejuvenating experience in some of the world's most stunning locations. Welcome, Carmen and Sarah. Did
1: I miss anything? Hi. Thank you so much. Hello. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. You've you've pretty much covered exactly what we're about. Um, so, yeah. Very excited to have both of you ladies on.
0: Really so looking forward to learning about whales and swimming with whales. This is so interesting. I've never had a tour <laughs> like this before. Come on the podcast. So thank you both for coming on. But I'd love to start off with both of your backgrounds, other jobs you've had, other
1: places you've lived, just to give the listeners more of an idea about you. Go for it. Yeah, I might um, start. Yeah, I might start this one off. I I guess you could pretty much say that majestic whale encounters uh, came about due to a dream um, that I had, and like I I mean literally, um, I used to dream about swimming with whales all the time when I was younger, and I actually still do. And so it was always, uh, I I, I liken it to when you have a dream about flying and how amazing that feels. And when you wake up, you're like, oh my God, that would be so nice to do. If only I could fly. And it's the same sort of thing that happened to me, but um, with whales in the water. And so I do have a zookeeping background and always had that little bit of a struggle in the back of my mind about I guess, um, whales in captivity, or not whales in captivity, but animals in general in captivity, as opposed to um, studying them and learning about them in the wild. Uh, and then I kind of put that together with the dream and thought that maybe I'd like to do something more with the wild marine mammals rather than captive. And that's pretty much how, how the idea came about. I guess I I once the internet came along, good old thing called the internet, I was able to look up and find out that you can actually swim with whales in different locations around the world. And it was, it was very very unknown, but it was a thing. And so once I found out you could do that, I got myself on a plane to Tonga immediately. Um, and I had to save a lot first, actually. It wasn't that immediate. But um, once I got there and swam with my first whale, I knew that there was no turning back and no other alternative but to, to create a career out of this.
0: That's incredible. Um, Super cool. I love that you were part of zoos, but you really just found your way when it came to being one, I almost want to say being one with the animals, um, but in a beautiful way and manifesting this, but working really hard toward that goal. So I think that's incredible. And Sarah, I'd love to hear how you became part of Majestic whale encounters and kind of just even a little bit of your yeah, background. Yeah,
2: sure. I, I feel like my story is probably not as um, interesting as Carmen. I'll actually start off to say that anyone. I'm not sure if you mentioned this in the intro, but Carmen and I are sisters. Um, so okay. Cool. <laughs> so I think when it came to me joining Majestic, it was just a natural thing because we're very close, and you know, very very early on in the first year, she just realised that you need more than one person to be able to do a job like this to be able to to run it. So that's how I kind of initially slotted into the business. But my background is actually more sales, um, marketing. um, And I also have a unique love of spreadsheets. (laughs) Um, There
0: is nothing wrong with that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I also, as far as just my interests go, I have always been a huge animal lover and I have done a lot of traveling. And I haven't lived overseas, but I've been on lots, many, many overseas trips, and I've just had travel as being one of my biggest loves. So uh, when Carmen invited me to go over there to check it out, I actually didn't have too many preconceived notions before I went. I wasn't quite sure what I was walking into, Um, but all I knew is when I got over there and I saw Tonga and I saw the whales, I had my first swim, I just knew that it was something that I wanted to be involved in.
0: I was going to say, I don't think anybody knows what you're walking into or maybe no pun intended, but swimming into (laughs) when it comes to doing this kind of business, right? Most people go into corporate or you work for a mom and pop shop, but most people are not getting into the world that you're in when it comes to swimming with whales. So I think as sisters, that family bond is incredible. To do a family business, I can imagine is not easy, but I commend the both of you for being each other's best friends and partners and really just working with each other on this because I can't even imagine, right? Not an easy business, but I'm really just excited to actually get into the business. So Majestic Whale Encounters. Yeah. How did you even come up with the name and really what, like with the concept of this, was there anything out there? Are you the innovator in this? I'd love to hear a little bit of a summary and background on that.
1: Yeah, I'll jump into the first part of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess we, well, for myself anyway, and Sarah's just mentioned the love of travel, and that had a huge amount to do with the fact that I would turn this whale swimming opportunity into a tour business. So uh, once you mix travel, um, the love of oceans, the love of whales um, all together, then the tour business was, there was no other option, but to go for go for that um, that type of uh, career. And mixing the two just made it a really amazing job that we get, we're lucky enough to travel and get paid for it and do something that we really love at the same time. So I guess, um, uh, majestic whale encounters the the reason that we call it majestic whale encounters was i didn't want it just just to be a let's go swimming with whales i wanted it to be let's encounter uh, what we can in the ocean Uh, we also have a a motto which is love protect connect so the the business is really about loving the ocean and loving the whales and loving the culture that we go to learning to um protect these things by by education so by taking people on these tours, they really learn about the place and they learn to love the whales and respect the whales the way we do. So that's where Protect comes from. And Connect is the connection that we get with both the whales when we're swimming swimming with them and also the connection with the people and the places that we visit. So we, as well as Tonga, we also, as you mentioned before, do Tahiti, Norway. We also have a few side tours where we do Antarctica, Uh, Rwanda with gorillas which is a little bit away from the whales but we like to throw in these specialty tours where we still have that uh, motto of love protect connect behind it. Um, Sarah I'll let you jump in on the on anything else you'd like to say about that. Yeah sure
2: yeah and also just to answer the second part of your question uh, when we started this company there were a few others like maybe I think we probably knew of maybe one or two that did a similar type of thing in Tonga Um, but so we, this business was started in 2023, oh, sorry, 2013. (laughs) Um, So back then, (laughs) so yeah, back then there, there wasn't that many at all. And as the years have gone on, there's been many more people that, you know, starting to run companies like ours. Um, But even still in the tourism space, we are still very niche because we only do these kind of like encounter based um, tours. to so yeah it's a it's a small pool that we have <laughs> Again, in, so to speak. no pun
0: intended
1: <laughs> I love up the that smart, yeah. and I
0: love kind of LPC right when it comes to love protect and connect I think that's so such a beautiful message and in terms of the tours that you're doing I think with the whales that's just absolutely beautiful and I want to go into your tours but before we go into the tours and what's involved in them How do you prepare to go on this, right? This isn't a – I wouldn't call this a typical tour. Do you need certifications? Do you have to prepare mentally? Do you need to physically work out? Is there any spirituality involved? Are there any emotions you have to deal with? Like I'd love to know, I guess maybe the mindset of somebody to prepare for this kind of tour, right? Because I don't think this is – you just, you know, do a walking tour and you take a nice stroll or a bike tour where you're on a bike. You know, this is a little bit different. (laughs)
1: I'll take on the first logistics part and then maybe Sarah can talk more more about the spiritual and um, other extras. But basically, you don't need to have a huge amount of skill sets. We don't do scuba diving. We do snorkel only. So uh, even we do get people who don't really know how to snorkel so well and we can do some practice runs with our guests beforehand because we stay in some beautiful locations where we can do some beach snorkels and do a little bit of preparation first. Um, as far as fitness level, it does depend on the country that we go to and the, the coldness of the water. For example, Norway is about six degrees in the water and we wear dry suits. So you maybe need a little bit of a better fitness level and, um, and some good heart health in those colder waters. But as if we're talking tropical, um, then certain islands we go to, you don't need a huge amount of fitness and we always have guides there that, that will help you along the way and um, they will go through safety measures and things like that. We do, we do have a big emphasis on um, being safe in the water with the whales and respecting the whales as well. So pretty much, um, depending on the tour, we can pretty, pretty much get you on a tour that anybody and everybody can do and it is open to families, um, older people, younger people. It, there's a huge mix as long as you can snorkel on on most of our tours. Um, Sarah, I'll let you take on the, the other half of that question.
2: Yeah, okay. Um, so as far as spirituality and that kind of thing goes, we don't really um, go into that too much because we know that everybody has a different mindset when it comes to that kind of thing. So I just think that um, in terms of that, everybody has their own, dif- their different experiences. So once people have their first swim, you'll see that they they come out of the water and some people, it really changes them. They have this, this uh, uh, experience where they're seeing this creature that is absolutely huge. They're in their environment. You're, you're feeling very, very small and sometimes it puts things into perspective in your own life. Um, but yeah, as far as, as far as that goes, we do just kind of like to go with the flow and let everybody have their own experiences. And we always just have a little, um, check in with everybody afterwards to see how they're feeling. But yeah, you get some, you get people that just want to continue doing it again and again, cause it's just this amazing, almost like some people find it to be like a bit of an addictive thing where they just want to keep on going back and I I sometimes sign people
1: up to the 12-step program after they get home because they really need to (laughs) detox (laughs) from their addiction. (laughs) It's
0: not a bad addiction to want to (laughs) swim with whales. Um, I don't think so at all. And I definitely want to ask you questions about swimming with whales, but I do want to ask you about your tours and obviously these are multi-day tours, right? I wouldn't think somebody does this for half a day Um, based on what I looked at your website, which by the way, everybody should check out uh, majesticswhaleencounters.cu, I think.au. Links will all be below in the uh, description. But though your website is fabulous, I love how you've broken out your tours, your about us, how you give back, and really just any FAQ questions because I know lots of people have them like myself. So I appreciate that on your website. And cool. when I notice with your tours, you do include a lot. And so for anybody listening to this, and they eventually will dig deep on the website, what are some things that you include? And I'm going to say a more of a general basis, because I know you have lots of whale tours throughout, you know, different parts of the world. But generally speaking, what are you including in each of these multi-day tours? I
1: can, um... I'll so oh, sorry, you, you go ahead,
2: Sarah. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so obviously we always include the, the main event is the whale swimming. So generally we do about five days whale swimming on all of our tours. So as you said, this kind of can change a little bit from place to place, but I would say the very, very minimum, minimum would be four days. Um, and then the maximum would be about five or six days of whale swimming and the tours themselves normally go for about six or uh, seven days, seven or eight days. Uh, And we always include all of the food, so we include all your main meals, Um, we always include your transfers from the airports, Um, and of course your accommodation is always included as well. And then some tours we have little extras where, for example, in Tonga we do include the inter-island flights. Uh, Tonga can be a hard place to navigate sometimes. So over the many years that we've been doing it there, we find that to include the flight and one night's accommodation in the mainland, it really helps to just let the guests relax and you know arrive in the country. And then everything's taken care of them from that point on.
0: Very nice. Thank you for sharing that. And yes, I think that's really important, especially it's not like you know a New York or a Paris or a London where most people can figure out a way to get there when you're going somewhere a little bit You know, I don't want to say I like isolated, but somewhere a little bit off the beaten path. I think it's important to offer that because, right? I know for myself, I would have no idea where to go. You know, to be honest, I looked at a map uh, where Tonga is, and for anyone who has no idea listening to this, essentially, it seems like it's outside of Fiji, right? That's like the closest place I can kind of find. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really kind of not middle of nowhere, but it's definitely out there. Um, So for anybody who wants to do this tour, working with an expert like Carmen and Sarah would definitely put you at ease of mind. So absolutely love that. And I'm going to ask you a silly question here. How big is a whale, right? Because (laughs) they're obviously really big and I've seen them on TV. I don't know if I've ever seen one in person, but they look quite large, right? I guess compared to a human or a
1: building maybe, how Big is a whale compared to a yeah. human. <laughs> I can give you a kind of a comparison chart. So we're looking at for a female humpback whale, which we swim with quite a lot. We swim with um, mostly mothers and calves. But if you're looking at the female, and you can liken that to at least the size of a bus, maybe a double-decker bus. So if you're standing in front or swimming in front of a double-decker bus, that's the sort of size comparison you're looking at with the calves and we, we swim a lot with the calves because they're very curious and they can come in really close and swim around you and mimic what you do. They're really fun and um, amazing to swim with the calves. And so, you know, a really big car, a big vehicle. So, um, yeah, they're, they're very impressive, especially under the water because they, they seem even bigger when you're up close next to them. Wow. That sounds huge. So thank you for sharing that. And when it
0: comes to actually, this is going to sound like another silly question, but when it comes to swimming, okay. Okay. (laughs) Then another question. I I love this because I'm sure a lot of people are curious, like me, just to understand some of this. When it comes to actually swimming with a whale, right? I know you mentioned earlier, it's not scuba diving, it's snorkeling. But what does that mean? Can you go up close to them and touch them? Do you have to be a distance? Do you swim around them? Do you swim near them? Like, what does that look like for somebody when it comes to, quote unquote, swimming with whales?
1: Um, yeah, I'll jump in again. It's so every country has different regulations and we, we always stick by um, whatever country we're in and their regulations. So um, I'll just go with Tonga, which is probably the most popular one that we to seem to run Uh, we can get up to five meters so that is insanely close when you're looking at a 40 ton animal five meters and often the calves will um not really respect that five meter rule and come in much closer than that like right in front of you pretty much Um, and then you're then maybe we skip over to french polynesia in tahiti we run a few different tours um, off catamarans and also down in Rurutu, which is part of French Polynesia. It's this little tiny little unknown limestone island. And their their rules are slightly different. Um, but so so we, we have a further distance from the whales, maybe what um, it changes all the time, but it's around 20 metres. Um, but their water is insanely clear. So it feels very, very close. I mean, 20 metres is close anyway to these animals. Uh, then you've got Norway, where we swim with orcas. and Orcas will, are like dolphins, so they will come up to you. There isn't really any restrictions on how close you can get to these guys, um, but they are quite They can be quite curious and come up extremely close. So that just gives you a little bit of a, an idea of the different regulations and places and how close we can get to them. But never,
2: um, never encouraged to touch any marine life really.
1: Okay.
0: That's important because I'm sure especially kids, they want to touch and see everything. So I think that's really mindful and helpful Mm -hmm. to bring up to make sure you're, you're kind of, you know, arms length, but maybe, you know, three arms length, right? From them. Yes, absolutely. We all want our space, right? As
1: humans too. (laughs) We don't want to be so close. That's it. So uh, that's it. And we do allow the whales to approach us. So we don't necessarily need to swim um, towards them, once we get to a certain point, um, we can basically kind of hover, and often the mother will be resting underneath, and a calf will come up to play and um, do some surface activity, and then go back down again to the mother, who's generally will be resting underneath. So that's usually how how the humpback whale situation would work.
0: Okay, thank you for sharing that. And there obviously is a yeah. few different types of whales. How many types of whales are there? And maybe if you name the top three to five, and I'd love to know the climate and temperature of water, right? Because I know you've mentioned in Norway, there's one kind of whale. And then in Tonga, there's a different kind of whale. My presumption is both waters are vastly different when it comes to temperature, but I'd love to know kind of like the differences and why does one whale thrive in one kind of environment versus another whale thriving in a different kind of environment. That's just so interesting um, to me and maybe some other listeners because- Right, I would think you know you think of polar bears in Antarctica because it's cold, right? Or you think of certain birds in warmer climates because they love the heat. So I'd love to know how that works with the whales and how certain whales can thrive in one environment
1: versus another.: Yeah, sure, I can fill you in on that. I could talk all day on that, but I'll <laughs> keep it. <laughs> I'll keep it to a minimum. Um, so we're looking at the top whales, we've got a we've got blue whale. Uh, then you go down to f- different fin whales. And then you've got a brooders whale, which is quite large as well. And then down to our humpbacks, which we love to play with, and they're quite interactive. And the humpbacks, uh, will they migrate? Most whales migrate, and um, the humpbacks will start in the colder waters. So, for example, the South Pacific humpbacks that we swim with, they will feed in the Antarctic waters down down south, and then at certain times of, of the year. Or once a year, they'll migrate up north, and up north they go to the warmer waters, and this allows them to breed and raise their their young. And uh, during this time, they don't actually eat. They might snack a little bit on the way, but they don't. Uh, they'll actually lose a lot of body weight while they're in the tropical waters. Um, this is where they teach their young. They'll spend uh, around from having their baby around fifty days in that one area, bringing up their baby. Um, uh, sort of, yeah, te- teaching them different different things of how to survive and how to um, interact and, and things like that. And then they make their way, once the baby's fat enough, they make their way back down again to the cold waters in Antarctica and wait to do it all over again the year after. Um, Then we're looking, if we have a look at the dolphin group, the orcas that we swim with in Norway are the largest of the dolphins, Um, believe it or not. They're not actually uh, in the whale group. They're, even though they're called killer whales or orcas, they're the largest dolphin. Um, And these guys come into the area, into the fjords of Norway, so that they can feed on herring. So when we're swimming with the orcas, the reason that they're there is to fill up on all the herring that is in that area. Also in that area, we do get humpback whales and we can swim with them and fin whale, different fin whales. Uh, we can swim with them as well. And they're also in these colder waters in north. are a different population to what we swim with in the South Pacific. But they'll come to these fjords in the cold waters of Norway, the winter of Norway, and they will actually... Uh, I guess they kind of use the orcas in a way because the orcas will herd up all the herring and get them into a nice tight bait ball and these larger humpback whales and fin whales just come through the middle and scoop up all the goods from from that bait ball that's been created by the orcas. So, yeah, uh, one thing I will mention too is when we're talking about whales that migrate, humpback whales, an interesting fact um, is that there is a population in the Oman Sea that actually don't migrate. They don't need to go to the colder or warmer waters. And that is because the waters in the Oman Sea are at the perfect temperature for these whales to both feed, breed, have babies. Uh, And so year round, you can actually visit Oman Sea and know that these particular um, humpback whales are gonna be in that one area. And I always find that quite an interesting fact that it's just the perfect conditions.
0: If only we oh, all could I'll, find that perfect I'll, place.
1: Oh, <laughs> go on. I know. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I'll hand it back to you because like I said, I could talk all day. So,
0: <laughs> No, I, it's so interesting. And again, I, I find that so fascinating, right? When whales kind of come and go just like the birds, you know, when it's just different seasons and they want different things, right? I think... Humans probably would want that too, right? In colder weather, you want to go somewhere warmer. Um, If it's too hot, you want to go somewhere a little cooler. So Mm -hmm. I think that's really fascinating. Whales are like that too. I want to talk about something on your website. Um, You mentioned a lot about responsible tourism. And, you know, a lot of people are throwing buzzy words these days of, you know, no carbon emission and sustainability and being more eco-friendly. What are what are both of you doing with Majestic Whale Encounters to show off responsible tourism? Like what does that mean to you? What are you doing to I guess sustain and make people feel like you guys are doing something good? Because right you both are doing incredible things I think with these tours. You're being really sustainable. You're doing the right thing to, you know, with the whales and being very mindful of it. So I'd love to hear some of your thoughts around this.
2: Sure, I'll just start off on this one, and then Carmen, you can jump in with anything extra that you want to add. Uh, so we, our main thing is to kind of not leave a footprint behind. I think that's that should be the bare minimum to most places you go. You know, like take photos. Um, but leave nothing behind and just don't be leaving anything in the water and all oh, your plastics and all that kind of stuff. We like to educate the guests on uh, not using plastic re- uh, re- reusable um, items and that kind of thing. Um, we also just choose locations that don't, use, that don't really need to um, uh, uh, come. Can you just jump in here? <laughs> I'm kind of stuck on it.
1: Oh, yes. What we, what we also do and just along those lines is we hand out merchandise uh, in the way of reusable items like water bottles. So we will give, um, give out a water bottle to everybody just to s- sort of stop the use of plastic bottles on boats and things like that so they can just refill the water bottles that we give them. We also hand out um, cutlery sets that are made of bamboo so they're a reusable little packs that you can roll up and pop in your handbag. Um, so we try to encourage um, eco eco items um, to be used rather than plastics and things like that that need to be thrown in the bin.
2: And an example of a, a project that we've done in the past and something that we kind of do in, in different places is um, in Sri Lanka we uh, did like a, a donation to one of the diving groups over there and they went in and cleaned up all the beaches on behalf of the company. Um, They went in and they showed us photos of all the things they collected from the water. So they just used a whole day and paid divers to go down and pick up rubbish and, yeah, clean up the oceans. But it's just something that we, every time we go to a different country or run a different tour, we will donate. um, We'll find a good charity or we'll find a good um, eco organization and we'll donate money to kind of, you know, leave something good behind. Or even that might also be in the way of supporting the locals as well.
1: That's beautiful. We We also, so. Go on. Sorry. Yeah, we, we call it the Compassion Project. So we also, if there's marine reserves, for example, Tonga has just opened up a new marine reserve right in front of the resort. So we'll donate a percentage per person booked on each tour just to add to looking after that marine reserve and keeping it clean. Um, so we, we try and help out in every country we go to. We try and give back in some way.
0: I love that. Thank you for sharing that and all great, really thoughtful ways to give back that maybe I wouldn't have thought of. So I think that's awesome. I do want to go back to that sustainability question for a second because, right, I know being I'm in America and I know for me, I try my best where I use a reusable cup, you know, for the gym and I just, that's something I drink out of constantly. I recycle as much as I can. I love using bamboo or, you know, eco-friendly things. What other things can people do that maybe we're not doing enough of? Is there anything that people can recycle a little bit better, maybe reuse a little bit more? Just a couple of things that you can think of that maybe aren't as "quote unquote" mainstream, or maybe that need to be more mainstream. Yeah. Sarah, you taking tell- it. Oh, sorry,
2: <laughs> I'm just thinking. <laughs> um, yeah, like I think there there are things in day to day life that we will we will. Sorry, I'm just having a blank here.
1: <laughs> I, in you know, uh, one thing that we we have been talking about lately is not using cling wraps and um, different different things to wrap your food in. So now that we've got beeswax uh, sheets, and we also have a lot of covers that you can put on your food that that you don't need to throw out, you can reuse. You wash and reuse. I think those sort of things, like every little part every little thing that you can you can use in the way of minimizing waste and and plastics is really great uh, I also find that people use a lot of the micro beads so, so looking at your your uh, beauty products and things like that just to make sure just small things just to to make sure that you're not washing things down the drain with your laundry with your dishwashing things like that where you can uh, really just think think a little bit more about it before you go and sort, of, you know, buy a mainstream thing because you you've heard the brand is good. Maybe look into the eco side and how it's going to affect the oceans just that little bit more.
0: That's awesome. Thank you for that. And I am actually really trying to do a lot more of that and change a lot of things. My sister is really on this whole kind of non-toxic journey. And so one of the things she's mentioned is like not using aluminum foil and she'll use like Mm -hmm. parchment paper instead to, you know, cook and bake on. So I think any little bit, right, Mm -hmm. helps. So I love learning about all these little tips and all these little things because there's so much to learn and so much to know that I just really appreciate any little tidbit for myself and also anyone listening to this. It's just awesome to learn. And I also want to go back to some of the places that you donate to because I think that's wonderful you – donate to real people, right? And real foundations to truly make a difference, Mm. right? I think there's so many, and I don't even want to talk bad about this, but there's so many places you can donate, but you really don't know quote unquote where the money's going or you hope it goes to what they say it's going to go to. But Mm. I'd love to hear a few, maybe three to five or you know, two to three different places that I would say people anywhere can donate, to give money to help with the whales, to help with you know recycling, help with eco. Yeah. Like I'd love to hear some places that you know come for you two that you have vetted that are legit that your money actually goes towards something making a difference.
1: We can, yeah. I think one of our favorite places to donate to, and this is in French Polynesia. Um, there's a company called Coral Gardeners, um, and you can look them up on Instagram. They're they're very young, modern. Group. There was a a man or a young man uh, who started this business at the age of eighteen with a group of friends. And what they do is they regenerate coral. So they'll take small amounts of coral and they actually will create an underwater garden and replant this coral just like you would in a in a you know a soil garden, I guess. And then they maintain these and go and check on them all the time. They've got all the resorts within Tahiti. They, they bring in on this idea and it's become a really quite a big um, company now where they're really making some changes and these guys we've vetted out really well and we actually um, on our Tahiti tour this year for example in September our group will be visiting coral gardeners and you can actually walk through meet the guys and see what they're doing they have some examples of their gardens um, straight from their office which happens to be on a beautiful location on the water in Tahiti. Um, but that's a really great example of one of the, the, the places that we really love to give to. Um, another one within uh, that's a little bit closer to home for us would be Take Three. And they're a, a local organization um, that, that Take Three items, the, the whole uh, premises of their business is to take three items from the beach every time you leave, three items of rubbish that you might find and that's pretty easy to find on the beaches. So if they get, you know, 10 people taking three items every single time they leave the beach and then they that turns into a 1,000 people taking three items, then the, the numbers just get bigger and bigger and the amounts of rubbish being removed gets bigger and bigger and it just becomes a natural thing that you go to the beach when you leave you pick up three items of rubbish and it's such a great easy thing to, for people to follow and they also um, do education. so we donate yeah sorry <laughs> yeah we 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 uh we actually created some t-shirts called what the t-shirt our ocean, called our
2: ocean?
1: future our ocean our future and every time we sell one of those t-shirts all the profits every single cent goes to take 3 Um, And then they pop that into their donation pool, which goes to helping um, educate people, educate schools, educate different companies, all sorts of people. And it's going international now about taking three items, three items of rubbish every time you leave the beach. So I think that's a, a really cool kind of concept and a really great positive thing for us to be doing. That's also awesome. um i'll just yeah
2: the sorry the charity that i spoke about before is called the foundation of goodness um they're the ones in sri lanka that did the dive and then also just speak a little bit about tonga because as far as we know we've never been able to find like specific charities to work with through tonga um so but because we have been working there and with them for such a long time we've actually been able to kind of Work with locals to actually direct money straight to their needs. So uh, I remember that in the early days of Tonga, we um, donated some money to get a water tank for the town, um, and then uh, Carmen spoke about before the um, the raising the money to reserve the ocean and to get the coral back into its original state. Um, So we are lucky enough to just kind of work with people that we know over there. And even uh, also you might remember that there was a volcano tsunami uh, very early on last year. So um, Carmen was in touch with the governors of Hapai and we were able to raise money. um, that just went directly back into helping whoever needed it.
1: That one, that also went to uh, to help buy some boats for all the villages. So a lot of the villages were wiped out entirely and and their lifeline is often fishing. So a lot of boats were purchased with the donation money from a lot of amazing people who donated through us and then we passed it on. Um, And they were able to buy new boats for those different outer island villages, which was amazing.
0: Wow. First of all, love all of these places to donate. I love that you even have gotten creative to reach out to local people to give money, right? I think there's probably a lot of situations like this where it's maybe smaller towns or smaller countries that may not have the infrastructure, right, that a lot of other cities and places do. So the fact that you're able to reach out to these people locally and truly help them, to me, that's incredible. And I know that's not easy. So I just really commend the both of you. And I have two more questions. Oh, you're very welcome. Two more questions before we really start to wrap up. My first question is, there's obviously always conversation about extinction of animals, right? I think people are nervous of extinction of maybe hippos, right? I'm not a zoo animal expert, but I know there was, you know, thinking thoughts of like the bald eagle, right? In America. But people have had conversations about, ready? Like the whales, right? So what are companies doing or people like yourselves doing to help make sure whales don't go extinct? How can we make sure that they keep going and that they keep breeding and that these animals can be beautiful and flourish
1: in this world? Uh, Yeah, I can take this one on. So in the, I guess the the number one thing, particularly when we're talking about humpback whales uh, is in the 1970s, there was an end, thank God, to whaling. So uh, whaling in Australia and then other places also around the world were were in the 70s when they ceased whaling as well. Um, That obviously made a massive difference to letting the population um, pick up to somewhat what it was um, pre-whaling. For example, on the east coast of Australia, we were getting maybe about 18,000 Coming up the east coast of Australia, and now they're counting between 30 and 40,000. So, and if we were to break that down as an annual increase, we're looking at around 10.7% increase every single year. So, that is like such a massive, um, really, really positive thing within the population of humpbacks because there was a stage where they were really endangered. Um, on the brink of extinction. Yeah, highly endangered. So, that was. Um, that was one reason why the numbers came back. But also just in general, the education, um, and we, we can have a platform to stand on on this, on the education of whales and, and changing people's perspectives of them. So over the years, you know, if you'd asked somebody, would you like to go swimming with whales in the 1940s, they would have gone, oh, my God, no, no monsters. They're monsters of the sea. They're dangerous, you know, and it would just not be a thing but now we've learned to educate people and they have this really different look on whales themselves and a new respect. So people are really wanting to protect the species. So it, it's sort of the love, protect, connect. They're, they're learning to love and have a respect for these whales and that is um, also causing them to be more careful when putting things in the ocean and looking after the ocean in general, which is the home of the whales. Um, so that this population can flourish, which which we are seeing, which is amazing.
0: I love that. Thank you for sharing that because, Ray, I think it is this education aspect, which thank goodness they're not scary (laughs) and they're beautiful animals. And it's nice to know that they're thriving and it's people like yourselves just doing really good things to keep them alive, to keep them well, and to show off how amazing these animals are. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And my last question I have, it's the last question I ask before the end of every episode is how do you want people to feel after they experience any one of your whaling encounter tours with the both of you? Oh, okay.
1: Oh, well, I'll yeah. go first because <laughs> <there's, 'cause laughs> this this is actually one of our favorite, favorite parts and it goes for both of us of the job is, wh- is looking at people's faces when they come out of the water after their very first swim and it's like the most rewarding part of our job by far um, so the way that we love people to feel, and I'm pretty sure everybody does, is, is in awe of these huge, gigantic, amazing, beautiful, gentle animals um, and amazed and, and re- really feel a new connection to, to nature, I guess, as a whole. Um, but we also want them to feel uh, rejuvenated and, and have a, um, a, a new appreciation, I guess, as they come out of the water, the ocean and the whales. Um, that's, that's what I feel. I always feel like this every single time. And we've done this a lot of times, but I, the feeling gets better and better every time you're swimming with a whale. It never gets boring. It never gets old. You always feel more appreciative of life. And, um, yeah, it's, it's the most amazing feeling that you can have. My, my husband's a, a, an avid surfer and always use his little, um, his, what he says, which is, he, he loves nothing more than surfing except for swimming with whales. So he's been absolutely converted. And when you're an avid surfer, you don't like anything more than surfing. So I think that's a saying a lot, I guess.
0: What about you, Sarah? Do you, have, do you feel the same yeah. way as Carmen or do you have absolutely. other
1: thoughts too?
2: Yeah, I feel all the things that she said I absolutely agree with. And then there's um, one other thing. When we went to see Jane Goodall, she was saying that when people have an experience or an encounter with an animal, the best part about it is that that connects them to that animal and makes them basically like a warrior for them for life. So one of the things that I just love about people getting to go and encounter humpback whales and other whales is that once they've done that, then that is something that they will, you know, they'll want to save the whales. They'll want to donate to the whales. They'll want to educate other people and that experience will just kind of stay with them and they will continue. They will then be one of the people like us <laughs> who want to, you know, see them live longer and, and have more people educated about them. So it's basically they'll go and spread the word.
0: I love that. And I think the more yeah. and more people do that, right, word of mouth I think is so powerful social media and podcasts and all these other things are great too so don't get me wrong but when you but when you hear somebody do an experience and they talk about it and you get that look in their eyes that you know that it was something amazing that yeah. person you know gets the itch right and they want to do it and then you tell somebody else and it becomes this ripple effect so i think that's incredible and sarah carmen i could probably talk to the two of you forever Um, But I know all good things have to come to an end, but it has been truly wonderful to speak to the both of you, to learn about your backgrounds, to talk about majestic whale encounters, to learn all about what is involved in these experiences, how to prepare the different kinds of whales, how they survive in each of their climates, and really just talking about sustainability and responsible tourism, all really great things, things that people, I'm sure, want to know more about, want to get more involved in. And so it's really just so incredible to have the both of you on and to share your expertise and really that you're both sisters in this family business. Couldn't ask for a better duo and a team. Both of you have awesome things that can contribute to the business to just make it flourish and grow. So really just so honored to have the both of you. I'd love for you to just shamelessly plug away your website, your social media, and most importantly, how can people book an incredible whale tour and potentially gorilla tour with the both of you.
2: Sure thing. You can find us. All right. What a great, <laughs> what a great wrap up. <laughs>
1: um, I just, I just, I'll just um, quickly get in that we do have some brand new tours, and they're called our Wales and Wellness tours. So these are something that we've literally just released, and these tours include um, everything else that our other tours include—the packages with the five days well, but we also have a real emphasis on the wellness side. Um, and also yoga, daily yoga. So this is a really cool tour and we've done this because mostly due to the last three years of everybody sort of being locked away and stuck on devices and and they really, I think this is the sort of holiday that people really need where they switch off from everything, just get back to basics um, and, I mean, there's nothing better than doing early morning yoga and then going swimming with the whale, coming home to eat a beautiful Healthy meal um, and just reading a book, relaxing, just not not touching those devices. So they are um, something that we've just released, and on top of that, for the first time ever, we're running women's only tours as well. So on a side as a side tour, we're doing like a it's we call it the triple W, which is the women's whales and wellness tours. Um, so I'll I'll quickly let Sarah tell you how to find us and. Um, but it would be so amazing. We, we love nothing more than to share these experiences because we know how incredible they are and how life changing they actually have been. And we've, we've seen and witnessed that with quite a few people, how it has changed their lives. Um, so yeah, I'd love to see you there. I'd love to see you there, Mariel. And um, I'll let Sarah wrap, wrap up the end of this.
2: All right. So you can find us on both Facebook and Instagram if you just look for Majestic Whale Encounters. That's our handle on both of those um, social media sites. And most importantly, if you want to get more information or if you want to book a tour, you can visit our website, which is www.majesticwhaleencounters.com.au. And you can also find contact forms through our website that you can ask us questions. Uh, We are always open. Like I said before, there's no silly questions. So we are open to any questions that you may have. And we, like Carmen said, we just welcome everybody. And um, yeah, can't wait to meet you. And thank you so much, Mariel, for having us on today. We really, really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, you've been amazing. Thank you so much, ladies. And yes, I would absolutely love to come. Sounds awesome. Thank you so much for tuning in to Travel Experience's Reimagined Podcast. Click the subscribe button to learn about a new tour guide or host each week, where you'll find out more about how they got started, talking in detail about their experience, and any fun facts or tips that they'd like to share. Do you have an experience that you would like others to learn about? Whether it is a tour, excursion, adventure, or experience, fill out our form online on our website at www. .travelexperiencesreimagined.com for a chance to share your story and experience so others can learn more about what you have to offer.